I'm going to preach something I'm feeling, not just something I want to say. And I just need to kind of add a comment or two so you can get in the vein of thought with me. About two or three years before my son wrote his book, I started compiling notes and I, I began writing a book out of the book of David's story where he was uh, food to his brothers and his rebuked him and he asked the question, with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? And the Lord entitled the title of the book, Shepherding in the Wilderness, from that scripture. And today's lesson, I've been talking out of this last couple chapters of my book in the last two months, and I know you're unaware of that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But today's lesson comes from the book that I'm writing and the chapter that's titled, Among Every Shepherd's Flock. Now, I'm telling you all this because I don't want you to take anything personal. Say it with me. I won't take it personal. Hence, or because of that, the art of living cannot be overstated today. Judge me right off the bat, right out of the box, you're going to miss the point. Enjoy the ride for information's sake and my heart's sake, but don't judge me until you can read it. I don't know end up at the physical altar today, but maybe in our mind we'll, we'll approach God in an altar of, of <laughs> wilderness and after I'm taking this text from, I'm going to title Among Every Shepherd. I know a lot of pastors, not that I'm not saying that to impress you. I communicate with them routinely and state out of Routinely, routinely communicate with them. They tell me what they're going to preach. They ask me about a chair things, and iron sharpens iron, as you might expect. But Pastor Glover, who's coming to preach in a few weeks, has been my biggest um, cheerleader to, to get this thing out, and I appreciate that. He's a man of the word. He's a man of integrity. And he's been my friend. I am reading then from Proverbs chapter 30. Remember, you said you would not take it personally. Man, good thing I decided to be laid back this morning. Hallelujah. You really have to be concerned about it. I'm not, I'm not going to unload. All right, Proverbs chapter 30. Sunday school, please. Yeah. Proverbs chapter 30. The horse leech has two daughters. Crying, give, give. There are three things that are never said. Yea, four things say, say not, it is enough. 16 and 17. The grave, one thing you'll never see is a closing sale at a graveyard. You'll never see a cemetery go out of business. You don't even know how to respond to that, do you? As morbid as it sounds, Solomon said, it never stops moaning for more. The grave and the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. Verse 17, he continues the thought. The eye that mocks at his father and despises to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. My title today is Among Every Shepherd's Flock. Would you pray with me? Thank you for your goodness and mercy, what you're doing in our midst and in our company and in our fellowship. Take this word of God today. Grow it, God. Amplify it. 
and make it do its will, its, its, its purpose, accomplish its purpose. Presence, we give you all the glory and the praise. Give you honor for it, God, in Jesus' name. God bless you among every shepherd's flock. Remember, this is a chapter from my book. God bless you. You may be seated. Every family, including your amazing crew, come work for, whether you're a business owner or you work for a conglomeration or a small local business. Every individual, including yourself, whether you're a praying man or not, whether you're a mother or you've never had kids, every single human being alive that has any functioning ability in their mind of type of internal talent system. I'm going to just support that with a few thoughts. It's sort of a reckoning that every one of us get every day for the balance. We don't look at it just function. Or with some, it's more documented than others. Your boss knows exactly the last time. You I'm sure your supervisor knows exactly how many times you've called in sick in the last. That's a documented tally. But you and I am talking about something much more personal. It's private. It's stored internally. I don't talk to you about my tally system, and you don't talk to anybody else about you. It's just something we do naturally. We categorize people. We categorize situations, things we deal with, good, bad, pro, positive, negative. We categorize them in our tallying. We categorize people as friend or foe, helpful, not helpful. Trustworthy, not trustworthy, sincere, or two-faced. I'm not saying we're gossiping about it. I'm saying we're tallying internally. Not a lot of agreement with me today, but that's all right. Read the book. We do it with that certain in every family. Don't tell him anything that has to do with your secrets. We don't tell her anything that we don't want to go any further. That certain person. That one you work with. We have a tallying system. And before long, you and I prove to each other the merit of that tallying system, whether it's good or not so good. In the professional world, people often, almost always, check out your personal references. Why do they do that? Because they want to know what makes you tick. Who you are. Are you something? interaction in an office somewhere. They want to know what you are personally, what you think about, what you like and dislike. Because a reputation is impossible, not difficult. It's impossible to escape if you look at it long enough. You cannot escape the reputation you've built. I can't escape mine. You have me in your tallying system. I'm not, a, I'm not worried about that. That's just human nature. You can, some of you, compare to your former pastor, your ex-preacher. I don't stop that one minute. We all have this internal clock that's working. And inside of that clock are accounts that we have built up by what we observe, how we analyze, and how we categorize, and finally, what we store. Are you following me today? A reputation is not just tough to escape, it's impossible to escape. And it doesn't have to be bad. It can be a good reputation. It, Solomon said a good reputation is rather to be chosen than great riches. So the good reputation you built at your work, or with your employer, or in your family, or in your friends, Thing. You are who you are. I remember a, a popular NFL football coach back in the day. And this saying became viral. And the, 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 ask him, 
you know, what do you think about your team at four and nine or seven, ten, whatever it was at the time? And can you analyze this man's skill and this man's lack of coming to the party every time he's needed? We are what we're, our record says we are. If we're not, if we're nine and six or two and twelve, he said, we are what our record says we are. It's difficult to escape a reputation that I've established. If you think I'm a jerk, if you think I'm not a friendly person, it's hard for me to get out of that mold because a person with a dialing system compounded is automatically looking for things that him or her of why you put him in that system anyway. So we come to church and people come to church and they've got or a dark past anything about that, we automatically categorize them. I'm not sitting near them. I don't trust her. He's got a background. No and no brought them to the house of God today. Maybe they asking God to give them of that reputation. Maybe, maybe they've been dealing with a long time. And trying to turn that corner of life and one step at a time. And so they come in my dimension of life, of life. And if I'm not prayed up, I'll automatically store them away. I'll classify them where I they belonged. I'll say again to myself internally, they are what their past says they are. They are what their record says they have been. You may not believe this, but I knew one quite personally. Even school teachers such a tally system applying in their these kids' reputations, these teachers like those teachers, retail professionals, office managers, zombies. They all know what I'm saying, and every pastor knows exactly what I'm preaching today. You qualify your kids in that category. You put this one there and that one here. I know I can trust her. I don't know about him. He's always been the one. He's always been the one on the edge. We tally them. Now, here we go. I can see it. Pastor Herring, I love all my kids equally. Stop. I need a drink. <laughs> Soda. You aren't going to get offended. I'm pulling this right out of the book, Shepherding in the Wilderness. And I'm titling it among every shepherd's flock. Every human being, whether professional or not, has an internal system that works every day. Do we have the ability to forgive? Of course. That's what's so important about staying in the Bible. It shows us how we should be and what we should become. I've said this until you could say it for me. I love the fact that the Bible shows us the heroes. I love the fact that the Bible shows me how David and Solomon lost his mind one day and Peter lost his temper another day. That proves to me, not that I'm trying to accentuate their weaknesses, it proves to me I'm in good company. Minded company. I'm going to tell you about the week I had, all right? Mm -hmm. It was just one and Thursday. Last two days have been praise the Lord. A leak in the Jeep. Shouldn't have done that cost me. Went out in the garage this week. Water softener. I'm just gonna walk away for a minute. And I'm just going to 
take a deep breath, which is completely not. Everybody has their strong points and areas that tested in. And I told us that these men, they were, they were the ones God used to God into what we know today. They, they saw at their hands great powerful works of God's spirit. The same men and women had days, days where they failed. That should encourage us. Everybody knows what I'm saying. All right, let me just prove it a little bit more. The Apostle Paul had one of those talents. 2 Timothy 4 verse 14. This is writer. Alexander, the coppersmith, did me a lot of evil. The Lord reward him according to his deeds. You may not like Nehemiah, marked him. And we're following shadow said, I have him in my tallying system and I'm warning you. The Apostle Peter tallying system. Second, 16. Only Paul was the one, his classification. He said, every time I read anything the man says, it confuses. He's hard classified or tallied or took account of the Apostle Paul's actions. David had a tallying system. 1 Kings 2 and verse 5. He warns about Joab's sketchy past. Where did he get that from? He had this tallying system, accounting system working in his mind. Even Jesus had one. Even Jesus had this tallying system that was constantly growing, like Matthew 16 said. He said to his followers, Brother Dave, crossed the line into the future and warned us, Beware of warning of what comes out of the tradition of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, when you use biblically, I know that. Say that sarcastically. I'm thinking, no, that's being judgmental, Pastor. Categorize or classify people. Well, my point up until this point is, has been to prove one of have those internal systems. You may be the chillest Charlie there is in the house. You might be the guy before anybody else thinks about it. You still have a system. You may not. But let's go talk about your family. You talk about people that have wronged you. Your system will all of a sudden become very evident. But it doesn't mean it always has to be that which is judgmental toward others. It can actually be a protective screening device. Why do you tell your kids? I just don't like the way you are when you hang around that person. Oh, I let them be. I let them grow into their own person. You're not a very good parent. I'm trying to protect my kids every day they're alive. You say when kids are brilliant and they're wonderful and seventh wonder of the world. But at nine years old, they do not have the development processes going to make decisions to protect them in every situation. So mom says, son, let's go tonight instead of you going over to Johnny. Remember, it can be a protective screening device that we use or that Jesus used and David used and Peter and Paul used to keep us out of looming situations. The truth of the matter is this. I'm in your tallying system, and you're in my tallying system. Here's the advice I offer you and to myself. I cannot control what anybody thinks about me. But it is important that I control what I think about me. So I turn that around. You can't control what anybody thinks about you. If you're one of those people 
similar to me. You have that kind of chemistry going on in you. We say we don't care who likes and dislikes us, but I care. And when people make their hatred or their disagreement with me public, I care. It hurts me. It hurts deep inside, and I carry that home, and I carry that to the cabin, and I carry that on the airplane, or wherever I am, I'm thinking about that person. But I'm saying, I'm coaching you and I to know this. I can't control what they say about me or think about me. But I can control that eating my lunch. I can control from letting that eat me up all day, all week. Every pastor that listens to me read this reads this chapter is gonna. I've been wanting to say this for so long. Every one of them have a tallying system, just like I've proven you have one. And in that tallying system are different, various levels of deposits. Every pastor that I know that really takes. God that does not look at it as a as a a profession you make your living at it yes but they don't look at it like that as soon as Sunday service is over you know what every parent as soon as Sunday service is over you know what talking about now Wednesday night Tuesday as soon as and he's thinking about that sister in the hospital and her kids at home. And every pastor I know has a tallying system, but right at the top of their tallying system. This is not hype. This is not trying to make you feel good. This is gospel truth. Tallying or accounting or reckoning system are the blessed people in his church. Remember the title of this chapter is Among Every shepherd's flock. At the top of his tallying system are the blessed people in his congregation. Again, what makes them blessed? Uh, he's pulling that from his reckoning system, from his accounting. I might look at you and go, you're pretty fortunate to be where you are today. But if I were looking through your eyes, you might be saying, life shakes. I might look at you and go, you know what, I can, see, I can see so much growth in your life over the years. You're a blessed person. But you might be thinking right now as I'm saying that, you might be thinking, life just doesn't work. It's not coming together. So according to how he measures the deposit he enjoys, at the top of every pastor's list are the blessed people of his flock. Pastor, those are literally shoe-ins. They're, they're before the star vote ever happens, they're already elected. Before the MLB game ever takes a vote, they're already shoe-ins. First ballot Hall of Famers. Nobody else's opinion matters about that person in the pastor's mind. Are they fearless? No. But are they courageous? Absolutely. Do they have fears and concerns? Of course they do. But they always the pastor at the important of times. These are the strong people that do exploits of Daniel 11 verse 32. Pastor. It has nothing to do with money. You, some of you won't believe that. Jesus, you're my witness. Nothing with money. Jesus saw that little widow by, and she threw a little bitty, pit, little bitty pittance of nothing into the coffers. And he didn't go, wow, you rich Pharisee, you really helped the kingdom progress with all the gold you put in there. Nope. He stopped all the church that morning and said, you see that little bit she put in there? You see that little amount she stuck in there? I got that. Thank you. I'm good. Thank you, brother. You see that little bit of amount she stuck in there? And Jesus changed the 
direction, the narrative at least of the service that day about her little bitty part in the offering. It has nothing to do with money. Oh, they're pastors, pet, because they're big tithers. You don't know me very well. And I appreciate every, every dime offered, every minute you give to the church and to the kingdom. I really appreciate that. But real pastors do not categorize in their, in their reckoning people by their money. I don't care what the televangelists look like. Pastors don't do that. Nothing to do with money, but it has everything to do with character, dignity, integrity. Not just the short little hill they're on. The, Look at me up here. I'm doing so good. I love new converts. They, get, they bring energy. And, and I can't help but get enthusiastic when I'm around them. They're fired up. All of us some good to... I mean, we call ourselves Pentecostal. We don't even shout. Some of us. All right, stay in the book, Ron. Stay in the book. All right, stop. Get in the book. But I appreciate their energy and zeal. It makes me feel like I should do more. But what I don't appreciate is having to, you know, to be part of that counseling every time that new convert comes down and they go, well, I thought God was going to change the world because of me. And he is changing the world, but it's you that he's changing. The more you age in your Christian experience, the more you grow in your Christian walk, you become more mature, more mature, more responsible. You're making big boy decisions now. You're making big girl decisions now. You, you don't even realize the effect you're having on people around you. Energy now, it's your character that's coming out. It's your dignity that's coming to the surface. That moves the kingdom of God. I'll tell you, these all-stars, every pastor will tell you, they know about them. They have no secret. I do not worry one iota. I spend one second time worrying about people that I've classified in my tallying system First, the all-stars, the people I depend on. I don't spend one moment worrying about them stabbing me in the back. Ever. I don't, I don't get jealous about them starting something going on over here. I know they have character and dignity and integrity guides their every decision in life. Every pastor, even your beloved former pastor, has the same system going. You may think he's all chill, Charlie, and all that, but, and he may be. But everyone has the system, and a pastor has to have it. He has to have it. Paul said, don't be putting novices in positions of authority, lest being lifted up with pride, they fall into the condemnation of the devil. What's Paul doing? He's pulling something out of his reckoning system. How does he know that unless he's been there? Pastor that's dealing with this first group of people knows they have his back. You never see blessed people. That's category number one, my title, my choice of term. You never see the blessed people involved in destructive gossip in the church, on their jobs, in your families. Blessed people just don't, don't want to go there. They know that it doesn't value or help anything. It doesn't help my family. It doesn't help your situation at work. If, if somebody that you like to hang out with on the job had just can't control his or her tongue, and they always end up on the subject of how rotten your boss is, how rotten your owner is, I mean, sooner or later, the big boy among us has got to stand up and say, I can't, I can't stay healthy when I'm in that environment. I can't keep sound judgment when I'm in that environment. It gets inside of me too easy. Every pastor knows blessed people are not involved in destructive gossip. Next time you want to uh, encourage yourself about blessed people, 
you no doubt being one of those. Read 2 Samuel 23. There's two men in there. I, I won't spend long time there, but there's two men in there. David, David's thirsty. David's been fighting. Everybody's been fighting. Anybody feel like you've been fighting battles lately? <laughs> Under no circumstances is that, is that intended to glorify evil or darkness of the devil or in the world you shall have tribulation, John 16, 33. That's not in there. It says you don't have that. But, but, in, but David's been fighting among his comrades, and he said, oh, man, I don't know if his meanderings got, it must have got vocal. You know what would refresh me so much right now? If I just had a drink of water from the wells of Bethlehem, and you don't see Joab going over here and doing something about that or whatever. You see these two men. And they say, if we could just do a little bit for David. And the Bible said they risked hazard their life so that David could be refreshed in one small moment. Those are the people David reckoned as blessed people. They weren't the richest. They didn't give the most. They didn't pray the loudest. They were the blessed people that always had David's back. Those men impacted David's heart. Those men got in David's thinking. Those men David loved in a special and unique way. That's 2 Samuel 23. Anyway, blessed people are doers of the word. They're merciful people. They aren't wanting a pastor to throw someone off the platform just because they messed up. Blessed people are merciful. Blessed people are compassionate. Blessed people are willing to go an extra mile, give a second shot, go another round. Blessed people aren't quick to judge negatively because they've been around life long enough that they've gained a little bit of insight from God's wisdom or the scriptural wisdom that they know, but for the grace of God, there goes you and I. And I'm feeling it today. I don't know if you are, but I'm feeling it. Among every shepherd's flock are blessed people. Blessed people aren't crybabies that pass out every time the winds of life blow. Because it rains on the just and the unjust. Blessed peoples are not blessed people, rather aren't just talkers, and every pastor I know, I want to say this is strong, but this is so true. I'll confess it before you and God that's watching me. Every pastor I know that takes his job sincerely, he survives, he'll admit it, he survives because of the blessed people. It isn't just, well... Got another sermon out of column four, section two, off the internet. He survives because he thinks about the blessed people in his church, how faithful they've been, how much they've supported him, how often they've been there to have your back. He survives moments when the devil is running rampant, all because of the blessed people. I cannot overstate the value in a pastor's reckoning system of the blessed people in his flock. And unfortunately, like in Genesis 37, 5, other people jealous. Joseph was a dreamer and his son, they saw, his brother saw the attention he got from his father. And they got mad at Joseph. Blessed people, not always, not always, but a lot of times are hated by people jealous of them being blessed. Remember, I'm not going to take it personal. Right out of my book, and I'm reading it right off the page. I wrote this. But the truths I hope you're picking up on 
among every pastor's flock are blessed people. And he literally not only survives, but he thrives off the blessing of the blessed people. And it may be someone who doesn't even have a job. That their name doesn't even register on the tithers list at the end of the year that our secretary so faithfully brings to me. Their name may not even show up. But to the pastor, there's been a connection. To the pastor's family, there's been a connection. You talk about my kids, you talk about me. You hate on my kids, you're hating on me. You think I just stand here like a block of wood? You're talking about my son preaches too loud, too hard, too soft. Other ones should be preaching. You think I just, oh, yeah. That's my boy right there. That's my son. I have a, I can't help that. But people that support you, you know that. And it's true, and it means something to you, Brother Carl. The second class of people, <laughs> this is a long chapter are the teachable people. I'll be brief, but I wanted to just emphasize how much value a pastor places on the blessed people. <clears throat> the second are the teachable people. These people aren't really established in the kingdom of God, and they're certainly not polished. If you ask them to give a testimony, they'll put two feet in their mouth. If you ask them to do something, they stumble and they, get a, they become afraid, and, but, but they're teachable. They're not professional, but to a pastor from his telling system, every church has this among the pastor's flock, are teachable people. You know what teachable people are? Teachable people are hungry and want to do God's will. That's the, that's the, the one value that every shepherd notices among teachable people. They're hungry and they want to do God's will. They don't know how to get there by themselves, but they want to be that. They want to be, they're, they're teachable. They say, man, it may, it may hurt my feelings, but would you please preach to me, Pastor Herring? It may go, go against every grain that's been used to raise me to this point. But I need teaching, Pastor Herring. I need established bedrock in my faith. Paul put it this way, 2 Timothy 4.11. He said, I want you to bring Mark with you. Knowing your Bible history like you do, Paul said, get him out of my company. He, he bailed on me when I needed Mark the most. But time, as Solomon said, I love this, time and chance happens to them all. Time is the greatest healer. That's what's so, that's so, so evil about keeping people in those classifications. They used to be on drugs. Maybe they're trying to get off drugs. They used fornicator. Maybe they're trying to change their ways. Now Paul knows the background of Mark and he knows where he's had him in his classification. But he said right now I know the boy's changing. I know the boy's growing. Bring Mark this time because he's profitable to me. Isn't that a lesson we all need to learn in life? The people we wanted out of their company yesterday might be helpful to you today. The very people you even, dare I say it, hated yesterday, God might put them in a place today that you need them in your life. That's the point you would highlight in the book, right, right there. The people you rejected yesterday. There was a little city. I'm getting off track here. Forgive me, God. If you're bored, you can go home. I'll stand here and preach to myself. There's a city called Hazor in old Israel, outside of old Israel. Amen. And it was a city at one time of great tariff and trade from all countries and walks of life came in there and they bought and they sold. And Joshua, it was in the path between Egypt and the fulfilling and the promised land. And Joshua leveled it. Every horse he killed, every human lost their life in Hazor. I, I forget. I, I think it's 800 years later. Forgive me. I can 
if you want more exact numbers than I can get them for you. Here comes Solomon along, and he rebuilt in the same geographical waypoint the city of Hazar. Now a man has the best where it lies geographically, far negatives of it. So they it's like you see it at work. So that one family member argues that you can say it up and they'll say down every time. You can say it's hot and say, not really. Every time, it don't matter, they're going to disagree with you. Joshua levels it because it's a threat to Israel. Solomon rebuilds it because of the potential that it can be to benefit Israel now. That's so much like our life today. You young men, you may not know this. You do, praise the Lord. But especially when you start aging in life, you realize all the stuff that I opposed so vehemently then, I, I don't even understand me now why I was thinking that way. I'm not, I'm not talking about sin, but just stuff in life. Teachable people. Paul said, bring Mark with you. Thank God for teachable people. And every pastor and every shepherd's flock, he has this tallying system at the top of the blessed people, and right below them are the teachable people. Number three are the in-between people. Remember, I'm writing a book. These are the people that you really never know where they stand right now, today. If the crowd is going this way, they're with it. These are the people, God is my holy witness. These are the people that randomly text me at 3 o'clock in the morning. Or in the middle of Sunday morning service when they should be in church. I'm not joking. They just don't know from day to day. They're insecure in the moment. And a lot of times their emotions have made them into these spiritual schizophrenics. I'm not bad-mouthing anybody. I'm telling you, in the pastor's mind... The categorization are the in-between people. They, they fight this unending battle with the emotional highs and lows. I mean, that sounds like a lot of us. Sounds like all of us, actually. Sounds like me. But this, this in-between person is the one that goes to extremes in that. They make life-changing decisions in the middle of that schizophrenic hysteria. The beauty of it in every pastor's mind is this about number three, the in-between people. These people are so easy to fix. They're so easy to fix. You just have to get them in their Bibles and into the prayer all the time. It's so easy to fix them. You just have to figure out a way to convince them Bible is the answer for everything that's bothering you. And prayer, prayer is what makes the message of the Bible more real to you. I'm sorry, this is belaboring the point after point after point, but you won't want to miss point four, I promise you that. If I can just get the in-betweeners in their Bible and into prayer, I'm not talking about become Robert Bear. I'm just talking about just start reading. So much of that stuff that on Monday you, I feel it in church, Pastor Harry. I just don't feel it Monday afternoon at work. I get it. I get it. You're trying to fight a spiritual battle without any spiritual guidance. You, you can't do it. You won't succeed. So I can just get you in your Bible. Number four is where our text comes into focus. The horse leech, the grave, the barren womb. These are unequivocally, unapologetically, the most draining people. You've got the all-stars, Brother Mike. They're in every pastor's flock. A pastor will live, breathe, and succeed or fail because of the presence of, of those all-stars, those Blessed people. You got the good folks. You got the people worth helping. And then you've got these people who already deem themselves in your mind 
unfixable. Sorry to destroy the language, but they, they're irreparable. They can't be repaired. They won't let you in their life. They won't let you miracles. They don't give you any time. Unlike the blessed people, watch how quiet it gets, Sister Flail. Unlike the blessed people, blessed people consequently always get the majority of the pastor's time. You know, that's just, that's just un, so obvious, isn't it? Even pastors need a place where they don't have to always be breaking down line upon line and precept upon. I mean, if you invite me over to lunch, you invite me over to lunch. If I've turned you down before, it has nothing to do with this, all right? I promise. I promise you. There are schedule conflicts sometimes. I used to be the worst. Brother Justin, I used to be the worst at double booking. Someone would say, can you meet me at PM? I'd be like, sure. And then someone else, well, can you meet me for coffee at 6.15? I'm like, sure. No, I shouldn't do that. That's the case probably. Yeah, but unfixable people, they're the ones who are always, not sometimes, not occasionally, not quite often, always, always unhappy. Always the sky is falling. Always saying, if you're going right. When everybody is on board, they're the one that's going to make their unfixable presence known. Solomon called them a horse leech. They never get enough. They always want more from the pastor, more from their friends, more from their employer. They're never happy. If you got a $4 raise, grumble in private that it wasn't six. If church is an hour and a half, they grumble that it wasn't an hour. If church is two hours, then it wasn't two and a half. They're unfixable. Greater minds than mine have exhausted everything they have to fix people that are unfixable. And they fail miserably. Because, Solomon said, they're like a horse leech. I don't know this without reading it, okay? But I read that horses have, in certain environments on the globe, will drink with such fervor and enthusiasm that anything in the water you would imagine is going to go into their, to their mouth. And leeches often go inside the sinus cavity, through the mouth, into the cavity, whatever, through horses out of their genuine thirst. And when they attach themselves to vessels inside, they start sucking. And they will suck blood until they explode. And Solomon said, the horse leech, give, give, give. I'm never happy. If you give me one, I want two. If you give me nine, I want ten. And there, I'm not talking about people that are striving for excellence. I'm talking about people that aren't fixable. If, if Jesus himself walked into their life and said, whatever you want, it's here now. They'd find a reason. They'd find a reason to bemoan their situation. They never say, they never say, I have enough. Solomon's word there is taken from the Hebrew HH, or Hebrew, obviously, 5936 from Strong's Concordance. He itemized it as a leech, a blood sucking, never ending, drawing help from others, leech. But in the Aramaic, now you can quote me, I can show you copies of things I've taken off the internet and straight out of Strong's Concordance. In the Aramaic, it goes beyond a leech. It's a leech with vampire-like demon influence. Unquote. This is a perfect picture of that draining person. Now, the, the, the benefit you have of reading the book is you can set it down when you're sick of listening to me, all right? 
right now, I've got to finish. And you're like, come on, doesn't he know? Yeah, let me, let me, I'm, I'm just barely starting there. Good, I'm glad you brought it up. This is a perfect picture. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, chose this terminology. Out of those resources and references that he stored away through experience, he chose this word, horse leech. In the Aramaic, which was spoken then, it's this leech with vampire-like demon influence. Listen, horse leeches can be in your family. Don't go out of here saying I called someone in your family a devil. Come on, think higher than that today. They can be on your job. They can be in your circle of friends who you hang around. They can be in the body. We just call them narcissists. All about me. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. Me, 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 me. In Acts 16, the Apostle Paul, verse 17 and 18, exhausted because of this woman following him around. All she was saying was, this is the man of the Most High God. He's showing people how to be saved. Most of us would go, keep her in our circle. But verse 18, Paul said, the Bible said, Paul was grieved. New Living Translation, verse 18, he was exasperated. Contemporary English version, he was so upset. Paul, she's just walking around following him. Better pay attention to this man. He's a real preacher. He really got it going. He's telling you good things. And he gets like, I'm sick of this. A shepherd can't help people that don't want help. Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary, I quote, a horse horse leech, a vampire-like creature in the spiritual dimension, unquote. Brown Driver Briggs, say that fast, Brown Driver Briggs, all men's names, lexicon said it was a demon with vampire tendencies. Every pastor takes comfort, though, in the fact that 99.99% of his flock is full of the first three. The blessed, the teachable, the clean. That's what keeps a pastor going, a shepherd going. In those four dominant categories, there might be another you could add or something, but those are the four scriptural categories that are among every shepherd's flock. You know what blessed people are? They're daring. Not silly, but they're daring because they're blessed. They're the people that say, we may not have the money, Pastor Herring, but let's do this. Do it. And the teachable people are the most docile. They're, they're, they're just, okay, whatever you say, let's do it. I don't, I don't know how to do it by myself, but if you'll put your hand in mine. The in-between are the ones that like, man, I don't know what I believe today, but I'll, I'll put myself in your biblical study care, Pastor Aaron. I'll let your teaching speak to me. The most daring, the most docile and the most draining are those who always want more from you. Now, you're smart people. You've categorized it already. You know I'm not talking about people who just want to grow, so they're asking for helpful tips on, tips on how to study the Bible. But people who are never satisfied. They don't want you to fix them. They just want to distract you on them. You, will, you, only, you can only learn that through experience. 
And I'm not, I'm not complaining about nobody. I'm telling you what the chapter of my book. Don't take this personal. This is in my book. And every pastor I've shared this with is like, oh, would you come preach this for me? I'm telling you. Because we so rely on the blessed people. We so rely not on the blessed people, but, but the teachable and the in-between. That's why we keep doing this. That's why we keep coming back. That's why we keep sharing. How do you fix the most draining people, though? You can't. The only advice I can find in Solomon's words was to be about our father's business, hear the conclusion of the whole matter, and that person, whoever it is, I'm saying this honestly. You can call me on the carpet if you want. I'm saying it. Well, I know God's listening. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know of anyone in this congregation, in the present, that is in class four. I really don't. I mean, you're, you're just good people. You mind your own business. I'm not saying you're perfect, and I'm not buttering your bread. I'm telling you the truth, Lord. I'm, I'm saying it truthfully, Lord. But if you want good people's time, people that can help you in life, not just your pastor, but people you respect here and there everywhere. <clears throat> Don't let yourself be the draining person. I, I'm, I, oh, I should be way over by now. Lord have mercy. Remind me, when I want to preach another chapter in my book next week, tell me about Let's be faith builders, hey? Let's be encouraging. Well, how do you expect me to have faith after you just said all that? I'm just telling what's in the Word. And I wrote that for the benefit of every pastor that will ever see that and read it. It's normal. But we have to focus on the teachable people, on the blessed people, on the people in between. Because what that last little category, and one, we've had them here. And thank God eventually, thank you, Lord. God moves them away. And Solomon said, the, the closest I can get to a comparison is this vampire-like that we look at a leech in the natural and we think that's what goes on in the spirit. They draw. You know what I'm talking about when you say spiritually you feel tired? I'm not talking about physically. You slept eight hours last night. You've been on vacation. I'm not talking about physically. Spiritually. That's what that horse leech does. That's his profession. Her profession. Thank God for good people. Thank God you're blessed today. Thank God that in every shepherd's flock, including this one, there's an abundance of blessed people and of teachable people. I just hope somewhere, somewhere you've pulled out of there some nuggets that are going to help you in life because it matters. It matters, it matters, it matters where you're classified. It matters. Brother Rob, I don't want to be the person in your mind that you, that you hate seeing me coming. You know how painful it is when you see people in the grocery store, people that have left and not left smoothly, and, and as soon as they see you, they that cuts me deep. That cuts me. I don't know where to turn this off today. Precious Lord, we thank you. Precious Lord, we adore you. Precious Lord, we need you. Precious Lord, we trust you. You're the rock of ages cleft for me, so let me hide myself in thee. I'm leaning on you, Lord, today. I'm, I'm leaning on you, God, for counsel and advice and instruction and direction. I'm leaning on you, Lord, right now, spiritual wisdom and insight for words that will help me, God, to grow. If I'm not that blessed person, help me to become that blessed person. If I'm not that teachable person, help me to become that teachable person. If I'm not that in-between person, help me to become that. 
and I bind every category that's unpleasing to the Lord, that's not helpful to the kingdom. I thank you, God, for every brother, every sister.